podcast ain't played nobody, afootballwebsite.com. I'm just going to get the promotion right out of the way. afootballwebsite.com. The read option newsletter is back. Uh, if you subscribed last week, you should already have it in your inbox. That is going to be the way to keep up with the Banner Society, the brand new college football multimedia art performance initiative i just came up with that it sounds really good it sounds way better than website but it's more than a website it's this year podcast it's other podcasts over yonder like shutdown fullcast um it's us on twitch it's us on the gram is it insta or gram i feel like old people say insta and old i mean like the 34 to 40 year old range and then the young people say the gram but that just sounds like a drug reference to me because i'm old i don't know Uh, We're going to be doing a lot of different stuff, a lot of different platforms. We will have a proper website, but until the proper website shows up, I need you to go to afootballwebsite.com, which is a proper site of its own, and sign up for the Read Option newsletter. That's going to give you all the information that you could possibly need, hope, or want. And we are fast approaching the actual season, which I have designated to be week zero. Podcasting Play Nobody will treat it like it's the start of the season, because I think there's two fbs games in week zero and there's been two games before in years past but not two games quite like this hawaii arizona is gonna be really good we're not gonna talk about this this week we'll talk about it like in two weeks when it's actually week zero but then you got you know you got florida miami that's real football and that's coming soon in late august so we're gonna march along our preseason shows continue today uh i switched it up first we're gonna have bud elliott and then richard johnson and i are going to chat um how much should i tease up front so bud and i actually interrupted our conversation last week so we're going to pick back up talking about the recruiting windows for new football coaches then we're going to meander into how much i hate the coaches poll possibly spoiler alert more than the actual writers poll which is uh, a feat richard and i are going to talk about some group of five coaching rumors because yeah that's already started um regardless of what anyone tells you the the ads and the presidents and the and the search firms that that machine never never stops functioning um in fact periods of time like this in august where they say that that's the furthest thing from their minds they're lying to you um this is podcast they play nobody my name is Stephen godfrey i am a senior writer at the banner society you can find me at 38 godfrey on twitter you can find me at 38 godfrey on instagram uh please go sign up for that newsletter please I'm not going to threaten you. I'm just going to beg you. It's a different vibe. Uh, first, Bud, then Richard. Our preseason marches on. Thank you for listening. Uh, Bud Elliott, I, I left you with a cliffhanger on purpose. Uh, we were talking on Thursday slash Friday show about coaches not getting the benefit of the doubt because of the new early signing period, which automatically I'm sure people hearing that want to grit their teeth and scream that we're extending the benefit of the doubt directly to the coaches. But... If you can for a second, because your 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 raison d'etre is recruiting, this new system of early signing really does change the way we should evaluate like uh, a year one, a year zero, a year two, a year three coach, right? I, in my opinion, yeah. Uh, if the coach is hired within a traditional framework, um, as far as like not being an existing hire who was already on staff and just a promotion, but rather a coach who you went out there, you did a search for, you know, that type of thing. Um, I you really almost have to treat everybody as as a year zero simply because they have so little time to put together their class. And I think across the country, if you ask these guys, hey, 
How do you think your sort of first class that you only had a couple weeks, like two or three weeks oftentimes, to prepare and sign? Because a lot of these kids are signing early now. The vast majority are signing early, in fact. How do you think that class compares to a class that you know you would have been able to get if you had had all the way until until February 4th or February 5th, as was customary with, with the old rules? And I think most of these guys would tell you, uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't measure up, right? Our our bust rate on these classes is uh, is probably pretty bad. There are a lot of reasons why uh, why these kids who were able to get who might have had, um, uh, you know, like the, the the ability to get in the early period probably probably were available for a reason, and maybe yeah. not always for a good reason, right? Like there may be some other teams that had passed on them or. Some of those offers might not have been real, but you know we had to take maybe one kid who we liked, but we also liked him because it made our, our class look a little bit better to the boosters and the admin, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the bust rates on these early classes, I, I think we're going to look back and find that they're significantly higher than what they were on first-year classes for coaches who had the traditional signing period. And this isn't going to change anytime soon because early signing for most in most evaluations has been a success. Right. I mean, this isn't yeah. something that, I, I mean, I'll put it this way. Just because there's an excess or, or a misinterpretation of the timeline and the pressure and that kind of stuff, like, that's not going to change what, what seems to be a very successful system. I know the kids like it. A lot of the assistants like it. Um, there is a subplot that's emerged where, depending on the relationships that you have with your, with the top end of your class, if you have an assistant who you may if you're a head coach, and you have an assistant, you may be thinking about getting rid of them. So what I've heard the last, the last year and change is depending on that assistant's relationship with your signees, it's essentially either hurting or bolstering their case of going or staying. It's been a very, you know, it, it's not quite like holding a kid hostage because I, I don't think in any way that if you, you know, got rid of your running backs coach and he ended up with another job, you know, in a couple, a couple weeks that that kid would follow suit necessarily. But it is a weird game of chicken to where if you want to make some changes on your staff, but at the same time, the guy that you want to fire as a primary recruiter on a top guy, that changes your consideration. Oh, exactly right. Yeah, it's a great job security in some instances for these assistant coaches. Um, they have these pre-existing relationships. If you just totally clean house, and unless you're a really famous, really successful coach, you're probably not going to get much in, in that December signing period. And we have seen... At times, some schools decide to just sort of punt on it, right, and and go later um, to see if they can maybe take a little more time to research this. Now they're giving up a a large group of candidates to research, right? Right. And there's oftentimes a reason some of these players don't sign early. Um, usually, reasons that are that are not necessarily indicative of success for them in the future. Now, I would not sign early unless I was going to actually enroll early. I just I don't think it makes much sense to to give up that leverage earlier than you have to. Because once yeah. you sign, you, you give up a, a ton of your leverage. But yeah, uh, I, I just think we really do need to start changing the timetable a little bit in college football for how long some of these guys need to be judged on, on success. Because that that first class is is it didn't give you a whole lot anyway. But now I think it's going to give you even less than that. Okay, so let me back up and, and just 
kind of shoot holes in my own theory here because so Alabama loses basically everybody. They wanted to get rid of some people. Some of the guys were leaving in their own volition for head coaching jobs like Loxley. Gaddis was out the door. He didn't. I don't know if Saban knew Gaddis is out the door at the outset. Um, he was a guy who was really valued on that staff, but you have him, then you have guys like Brent Key. Most of that staff is gone, right? How do they? Is it just by virtue of Alabama, comma Nick Saban, like you just said, superstar coach that they still sign so well? Yeah, that, I mean that, that office really... was like that office was empty for a month. Oh yeah, and, and it was weird for for a little while. I a lot of people think Bama upgraded their staff. By the way, um, despite the fact that a lot of those guys left and and got promotions, um, I wouldn't but, disagree. I I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I think. They may have downgraded slightly in terms of who they got recruiting-wise, but I think they probably upgraded as far as coaching and coordinator-wise overall. Yeah. They, they they kept Golding, which we know was a was a major goal for them because Oklahoma came after him, I think it was. Or at least that was the word that, that recruits were wondering about. Um, a lot of these guys they already had great relationships with. And most of these dudes, I think, just trust Coach Saban to figure out what – like like what to do and, and and who to hire you know it, Evan Neal was constantly hey I'm I'm not I don't care about early playing time I, I I care about competition level and and playing against the best in practice every day well that didn't really affect him as far as wanting to choose Alabama um, they the the guys they got at the top I, I think were attracted to the Alabama brand not necessarily the the assistant coaches they, they didn't really lose hardly anybody. Uh, when their assistants left. And, and I think that's a unique example because it is Bama. I will say this, like just watching some of the NFL camp stuff that's going on. When we say that, you know, when you talk about, oh, they're selling the Alabama brand, don't twist it up. So what we're, what Bud's saying and what I'm saying, and this is this needs to be so perfectly clear because there's so much disinformation out there about what a kid looks for. It's not that they fell in love with Houndstooth, okay? Or, or the, you know, hashtag tradition. Here's what they're doing. These kids are looking at the sheer number of Alabama players on NFL rosters right now. And I think you're seeing, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you're seeing the quote-unquote business decision happen a hell of a lot earlier at 16, 17 years old, where it's not, hey, I want to ball out and be a superstar no matter where I go. Or actually, if I feed myself into this machine uh, there's a much higher probability that I'm going to be paid legitimately for my football services if I play the right position the right way at Alabama. And it really comes down to, hey, I, I like those odds better. It's not about like, hey, roll tide. I, you know, I love I love Alabama. It's not that. Right. It, it's an extremely important factor. Now, where I might disagree with you a little bit or push back is I don't think it's a new. I don't think it's a new thing. Really? I think kids who are looking to play pro football have always very seriously considered which school can help get me to play pro football. And schools that, that have track records of doing that, especially if the coach who did it is still there, are going to be really successful in, in pitching that. They're going to say, hey, look at our NFL numbers. Look look how many guys we, we, we get drafted. Look how many guys we have on rosters, especially if they're able to sell a specific position at which they do really well. That That's an added bonus there. Um, but Bama has just put so many kids into the league and, and won so many games, it's – uh, they, they all they, for a while they, they feel like they've almost had like right of first refusal on on a lot of kids. N- not mm-hmm. like a Clemson or Georgia when they go up against them, but for a lot of other places, you know, I I know for a fact schools are like, hey, we like this kid. 
you know, we, we, we need to try, try and get him to commit to us early uh, and, and maybe hope that Bama doesn't, doesn't green light him. Because you know, they, they throw out a lot of offers, and it's like, okay, yeah, you have an offer, but it's not really an offer. It's a, hey, you have an offer, and if you actually come to our summer camp and impress us, then it turns into a real offer, and, and you can commit to a type offer. And when you say you're, you're talking about Alabama, not the competition. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, look, all of this makes sense. It all tracks, but at the same time, it is remarkable to think about the fact that they're getting top talent when just like just let's say on the offensive side of the ball receivers coach oc o-line all gone completely gone and at the time in which a lot of these kids were in the early signing period no inclination really i mean there was a lot of conjecture about who would take over who would call plays etc etc but that is the separation that we kind of we kind of hint at when we talk about Alabama and really just a handful of other places. Although I would say that you know, I don't think anybody. If you can tell me I'm wrong, I don't think anybody uh, walked away from Georgia because Jim Cheney was out. No, no, not not that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, yeah. That those schools seem kind of bulletproof as long as the headmen are there on the recruiting trail, at least. All right, real fast before we we switch tracks, bulletproof schools can withstand any situation in terms of assistant attrition. Alabama won, Georgia, Texas. Uh, Clemson, for sure. Clemson, like, even, even, if, even if they lost Venables, I, I don't think defensive recruits would care at all. Really? Yeah, I really don't. Like, there's like your he's first, a really there's good your coach. your first PAPN and, bold take there, bud. For- I'm, I'm serious. I, I really don't think they, they would care that much. I think they would trust Dabo. Um, and, and Clemson is basically like fun Alabama, right? Okay. Like it's a more college feel. It's it's you can definitely pitch to parents. Hey, this is a small town. Like your kids won't get in trouble up here. Low arrest rates, high graduation rates. They they attract a certain type of kid. It's one of the reasons why their attrition is so low. And, and Venables has done a great job. And I don't think he's going to get a head coaching job. You know, I, I think he's going to be there. No, we've uh, talked about this in the like, show like before. Like a Bud Foster. I, yeah, this is not a situation where look. I know a lot of people always want to compare his track with with Chad Morris. And Chad Morris ends up at an SEC job. We don't know if, for how long, but that's always the goal is to get an SEC job. That is Arkansas is that right at that Mendoza line of like, are you getting an SEC job to say you got an SEC job? Or are you getting one where you think you can win? And Arkansas is literally right on that line where if you get an SEC job like Vanderbilt or you get an SEC job like one of the Mississippis, it's completely different circumstances than like even honestly, even maybe even South Carolina at this point. Um he did exactly what he needed to do by hanging on at Clemson, right? He goes to SMU. It was the perfect pivot point because he's from Texas. Brent Venables has had so many offers. Uh, there was this longstanding rumor that he would go to K-State when Bill Snyder retired. Obviously, that didn't happen. And then there was he was at odds with Snyder, and he didn't like it there. Like, this guy could have had any number of head coaching jobs in the last literally five cycles. But he's going. I'm convinced now he's not going anywhere. I, I, I totally agree. So those three for sure. Okay. Um, I I kind of think Michigan, to be honest. Uh, okay. Not that they're like at the top of the mountain recruiting-wise, but they do a good job. Harbaugh's a big enough name. Uh, you could probably say Chris Peterson out of Washington. Just because really? Like he, oh, yeah, I was not expecting that. Like he's the name there. They, they have other really good – You know, they, they have other guys on the staff who recruit well, but I think when you have a guy who's that successful – he can kind of lose assistance, maybe not lose a ton of assistance every single year because eventually that that can kind of hurt relationships if, if kids have been dealing with four different coaches in four different years. 
right on a recruiting trail. But so uh, Lincoln Riley at Nebraska for sure. Oklahoma. I mean, you, you you could you could change coordinators every year. I don't think it would hurt him that okay, much. Okay, so 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 far you have Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Michigan. What about Ed Orgeron? Uh no, I well, okay, offensively, I mean, can you name their coordinator? He's in, he's new. Well, I don't, I don't think anybody's technically it's still I mean are you, are you well, they have their passing there? game guy. Right. Yeah, like nobody's committing to LSU for, for Emsier, right? Like nobody's right. like, Oh, I really want to go play in that offense. Yeah. So technically uh, they, Steve Insminger still holds the book there, but I know that they're doing this sort of the weird. New Orleans Saints, we're gonna throw yeah. the ball. Yeah. Um I would say no on him. Uh I think Jimbo at A and M. Who else? I already said Lincoln Riley. Joe Brady, by Pro- the way, is his name. Probably uh probably Herman at Texas, I think. Yeah, I now, think Texas it, out there. If you lost Todd Orlando, it might hurt a little bit with some defensive recruits, but I think Herman at Texas is one of those guys who's pretty bulletproof. Like the school, as long as he's there, is going to recruit well. Just I would blindly bet on that. Okay, um, Ryan Day is actually one that I think, or what probably James Franklin too. Um, we've seen him lose assistance, and it might have hurt him on the field some when they lost yeah, Joe Moorhead. Definitely. But recruiting wise, no. All right, what, what about, about I'm going to throw, throw this one out at you? Because I want to demystify. No, I want to demystify this process. Scott Frost. They're they're just not a recruiting power. I mean, they're not if, okay. But, but in this hypothetical, and and by the way, I agree with you. And we've we've picked at and picked apart Nebraska, and I think in both like comedic and legitimate ways before on PAPN. But the the bottom line is, Tom Osborne is a. It's not even a different landscape. That era is a different planet on a different multiverse. Okay. The ability to go and get five stars out of California and Florida almost almost at will doesn't exist anymore for all the reasons that we could talk about. However, he's at least enough of a galvanizing brand to where he can go and hit the West Coast in Texas better than anyone has had at Nebraska since. And his offense is more dynamic and interesting and appealing to recruits than anyone that's coached at Nebraska since, right? Since since like the Lawrence Phillip days. Okay? Recruiting-wise, I'm still waiting to see it. I mean, they they signed they signed six four stars last year, only one kid in the top one hundred. Um, you know, Riley did some stuff like that. Bellini did some stuff like that. It's there's not been that much of a noticeable uptick in recruiting. Now, I think he has a super long leash at Nebraska. He played it oh, really think, well. He literally came in there and I, said I think he has the longest one in the world. Yeah, like in, in the Andy Staples article, uh, he literally said in, in that press conference that Andy was at. Hey, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Buckle up. Yeah. All right. I mean, so that he, he played it right. He knew his roster wasn't very good. He's trying to rebuild it. I think they're doing they're, they're I think he's building towards something. Um and the team obviously got better and he and he got a quarterback in that transition class, which is going to be absolutely huge for them with Adrian Martinez who who looked really good last year when he was healthy. But they're they're not pulling like a, a ton of elite kids. Last year they signed they signed twenty eight kids, and what six four stars. That's that would be like the fifth best class in, in, in the Big Ten East, right? It's like it's not a class that's national nationally relevant. Okay, uh, so when I was throwing teams out at you, I was actually just using this is my nice transition where I was using the the, the coaches poll. So when I was throwing out teams that were slotted, I was you know saying like oh. Texas, LSU. So that's basically 
If for some reason you don't know, it's completely arbitrary, but I'm going to run through it backwards a little fast. Coaches pulls out 10 Texas, 9 Notre Dame, 8 Florida, 7 Michigan, 6 LSU, 5 Ohio State, 4 Oklahoma, 3 Georgia, 2 Bama, 1 Clemson. I didn't pay a lick of attention when this came out. I think that it is beyond arbitrary after a certain number. We can debate which number, bud. Um, I'm starting to dislike the coaches poll as much if maybe if if not more than the writers poll um and i don't know if we're doing anything other than just sort of contributing to junk math and junk logic with the, especially with the preseason polls i agree look polls are basically just a ranking of like okay let's rank all the undefeated teams let's rank all the one loss teams then let's rank all the two loss teams and let's rank all the three loss teams with very few exceptions right if the goal was really to rank who do you think is the best team, you would have some five and six loss teams who are, who are top 25 caliber teams. They just happen to play really mm-hmm. tough schedules or they've played a lot, a lot of close games and, and, and have close losses. Like the polls, yeah, we, we, we do need to, to recognize and reward results. So winning has to matter. It has to count for something. But the, the polls are oftentimes just like, all right, let's look at, let's look at the loss column. Cool. And then let's, uh, uh, let's let's look at what your name is. You got a big name. Got got a, a low number of losses. Okay, you're you're up there. It, it's I don't pay that much attention to them. Um, other than I, for wagering purposes, I do look to see who's ranked to to see if maybe I can exploit uh, some some overranked teams or some teams who are are not ranked who I think are maybe you know very good quality teams um, because a lot of times the public still the, the betting public still does look at these polls and, and, and think they matter. But well, in any case, it, with the coaches, they're not voting on it anyway. Yeah, so the marketing I mean, aspect of this has is, is become so dominant. And when ESPN sets their slate up, when we're, we're talking about week one neutral sites, when we're trying to figure out what's going to go into primetime and what's not, the bottom line is there is a baked in at this point uh, subconscious association with a quality game if there's a number next to one of the teams. So when Ohio State plays FAU... I think Ohio State may not be the best example because that is generally considered to be a a nationally recognized brand. But you flip by and you go, oh, well, number five is playing. And I don't have a lot of qualms with the top five. I don't have a lot of qualms with the top 10. It's all sort of nonsense to me. The numbers past 15 are usually shit. This year, I think they're almost especially shit. And the reason why is there's just no way to determine that middle ground. Hell, there's we struggle to determine that middle ground in the you know in past shows we talk about on the S&P plus the 15 to 30 range is subjective even in analytics and to do it in the preseason is just laughably arbitrary so this year uh, i did 10 again the, the early teens are fine I, nothing jumps out at me where i'm absolutely disg- i think texas a&m is benefiting from a lot of offseason hype they're at 11 then you have 12 now, washington let, let me ask you on a&m yeah do, do are you saying that because you think they're going to end up with four or five losses because of their schedule or do you really not think they're a top 15 caliber team I don't know and I think that there's there's enough variance there to where I, this is this is this goes to sort of the root of the of the conversation where if they were at 15 I probably would shrug 11 again it's all sort of this built-in bias that you have with the numbers next to them so 11 A&M, 12 Washington, 13 Oregon, 14 Penn State, and 15 Utah. I could make a rough argument against any one of those teams holding those numbers. You could also literally like boggle 
like throw the dice in and mix them up and 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 reorder that in any way from 11 to 15 and i probably wouldn't say anything it's that I'm, arbitrary I, 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 I'm in agreement with that. Yeah, it, yeah. There, it, it really is pretty arbitrary. And so, the but worst after rating, fifteen, after fifteen, yes. bud, you and I could literally create any list after this. And people, by and large, if you went to a bowl or you had a bowl eligible record last year, and I spat out any combination, I think you you, you would someone would go, oh yeah, that feels right, that sounds right. At the same time, I'm looking at some of these teams and I'm thinking, you may not go 500 this year. They so, have Northwestern ranked. Syracuse, the, the Syracuse thing, I, I don't like. Someone has to explain this to me. Stanford, as as someone has. Ranked? To, yes, Stanford, same thing. Well, like, like show, show me your work. Why is Northwestern twenty five? Uh, Northwestern is better than Mississippi State right now. No, not not a chance. I, I, I look. I have. Is Northwestern better than Kentucky? Are they better than Missouri? Are they better than? USC, we just named, by the, they, by the they, way, we just named three SEC teams in a row. So there is a contingent sure. in this podcast that is going to hunt us down and murder us. And that's fine. I, I'll say this. Well, South Carolina, I'll Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a couple more in there. I'll stand. Hey, look, I'm an Army stand. Is, is, is Northwestern objectively better than Army right now? And I'll tell you this. Syracuse Not at 22. Hey, Syracuse at 22 with the amount of skill position that they have to replace. And I love what they're doing there. Love, love the story. Like I'm a huge advocate for college football truly being a national brand. And when you go into a place like Syracuse and you're good at football and good at college football, I think that brings an entire region of the United States in. I think it's good for high school football, even though it's not you know wildly talented in in, in New York. But I'm all for Syracuse. However. They're not the 22nd best team in the country. If you could even fathom a way to determine that, it wouldn't be Syracuse. Nor would it be. I I think I agree. But what about like Oklahoma State, Virginia, Miami, Virginia Tech, Minnesota, Memphis? Like all those teams I think are are as good or better than Northwestern. Baylor and and TCU. Hell, I think Nebraska should be ranked over Northwestern. And I'm not even sure Nebraska should be ranked. Northwestern is is like the only one in here that I feel like all right, yeah, this is pretty bad. I, I have Northwestern outside my top 50 in my power ratings. I would honestly even, and by the way, I, let's. there's suspiciousness a lot higher. Here's the deal with Auburn. Auburn could be the fifth best team in the country by the end of the year, or they could be five and seven and firing their coach. So how in the world are you telling me that they're 16 right now? What does that actually mean? How did you get it's, there? It's it, it's it's splitting the baby, right? If they, if they get a quarterback, they're an easy top ten caliber team. Yes, they're, totally. Their agree. defensive line is awesome. I think your defense is going to be lights out. Their offensive line, I, I think, actually could be improved. They they like their skill position talent with all the speed. Uh, they're all in on this idea of Gus calling the plays and how it's going to going to be better. Uh, but to me, yeah, but it, Bud, it really how much of that? Bud, how much of that is just because they they watch them whip sure. the shit out of Purdue? Uh, probably a lot. Uh, if, if Malzahn had, if they had not whipped Purdue, uh, people would, would use that single game sample set uh, equally as disproportionately and, and say this is a bad thing, right? Like because we like to extrapolate really small samples in, in, into meaningful conclusions, especially in the off season. Uh, one of the things we wanted to touch on here is that so I've been embedded with coaches many, many times. You've known coaches your entire career. We have between the two of us what I've never, ever, ever seen a coach fill one of these things out be able to tell you where they are honestly 
that's the truth. Like a lot of times coaches will like, uh, it's actually the inverse of the whole uh, coaching staff rumor situation where they say, oh, we don't pay attention to that. Where in actuality you find out they are paying like down to the minutest, the minutest, the tiniest rumor, right? They are paying attention to that. Coaches really don't follow the coaches poll. Coaches who vote in the poll don't really vote in the poll. I can't overemphasize that enough. I think it's more disingenuous now than the writer's poll, which everyone used to throw their hands up and say, well, what do sports writers know? That's totally fair. I don't really use the AP poll for anything. The difference is the the coaches poll purports to be something that is what built on expertise. When in actuality, do you really think that the voting coaches, bud, are sitting down on Sunday night or Saturday night or Sunday morning, whenever they do it, and parsing through 60, 70 odd games so that they can best represent the landscape of college football? They're not doing that shit. If anything, they're no. using it to be malicious. We, we've seen it before in the past when the polls used to factor into the BCS, how they would upvote and downvote like it was a freaking Reddit thread. Like, I mean, I can go through any, like all of these, any one of these coaches right now, and I can tell you. There's inherent bias, and I guarantee. I mean, there's no one on this list. I'm at the bottom of the USA Today rankings. You can see the list of coaches. I'm tempted to text one of them right now and ask, "How much time did you actually spend on this?" But that'll probably just spook them. All right, so you you've embedded with multiple coaches. You've never seen them work so, on. So, but I'm going through this, and and by the way, like if you don't know, the coaches poll rotates. It's not like you're a lifetime voter. You're never a voter, but like one, two. So as we do this, I'm counting in on coaches that I've embedded with that are on this list or just coaches that I that I speak to frequently. There's no way that they're spending this amount. There's no way. So just think about like the, the compilation of advanced analytics that we look at, like, like Bill's system or anybody, even FPI, whatever. The amount of time it takes to do that, and that's a that's just objective number crunching. To sit down, like, what does the committee claim that they do? They spend like 12, 16 hours or something in deliberations to rank half this amount of teams. Yeah, that's uh, that's some expense report padding right there. Um, I'm telling you right now, like, sure. I, I four, five, six, seven. I know a lot of coaches that are voting this year, and I'm telling you for a fact. And I don't want to put anybody out on Front Street. I don't, but like. All right, let me see if they... Uh, I'll find out if this gets back and he gets pissed off, okay? Neil Brown at West Virginia. Neil Brown has worked his ass off to get a Power 5 job. He was overlooked many times. He fought like hell to get Louisville and was barred because of his Kentucky connections. But he has done everything in, in his in his coaching ability to get to where he is right now. And on top of that, he inherits a depleted West Virginia roster at a school that's really hard to recruit to with an expectation level that might be disproportionate. I say all this to tell you, do you think Neil Brown is going to knock three hours out of his Sunday to fill out this damn thing? Sorry, Neil. No, think about, all right. So I'm telling you they're not let's like, let's go over the schedule of, of a coach right on, on, on game day post game. So, okay. Post game, right? Boom. Clock hit hit zero zero. You're on the field for a little bit. You you, you probably have some boosters on the field come up, come up say hi to you. You you shake hands with the with the opposing coach. You may have to do an on field radio interview. Okay. Uh, then you go and, and like you you hug, you hug your wife and your kids, assuming they're they're down there on the field. Then you walk off. Right. Then you have a brief little address with with your team after they've showered. Typically, you give them about 15, 20 minutes, sometimes thirty, before you actually get in the locker room to talk to them. 
after the game, assuming it's it's a home game. If it's a road game, the schedule is even more jacked up. So you, you, you talk to them. Then you have to go talk to the media. That that, that takes about 30 minutes a- after you do your, your talk with the team. Then you're going to have a talk with your staff ab- about the game. Then you're well, actually in between there, you're going to have to go talk to recruits who are on official visits before they go out with the players you want. You probably want to see them and their parents a little bit before they before they go out. Then you're going to have a talk with, with, with your staff. Uh, and if, if you played a, a, a night game, I mean, it's well after midnight now. Um, if you play oh, like, yeah, it's, it's if like you play two a in the 3 morning. o'clock game. Yeah, yeah so, and I, I'm not in uh, Central Time Zone, by the way. So we're, we're going to have a little issue with this. I think you're outvoted <laughs> now with, uh, with, with two East Coasters. No, God's time zone will always be Central. And I say that as someone who was born in the Eastern Time Zone and grew up in the Eastern Time Zone. You don't know what you're missing, baby. I mean, I, I've lived in the Central Time Zone before. Um, I know. Hey, you're Floridian. Just go to the Panhandle. Yeah, that's true. But like, tell me when they're going to sit down. And here's a good example. There's some press conferences out there. I think Urban Meyer has one. I know for a fact Jimbo has a couple because I've been the one telling the results before. He's like, "Hey, who won the uh, you know who who won the Virginia Tech game?" And we're like, uh, "They actually lost to um, you know whoever uh, by like some some insane score." Um, and, and their reaction is like one of total shock because they they've not been paying attention to a result no. that that the whole college football world has known for probably six or seven hours. They've been coaching the game. So and Saturday's even though it's maxed up on the out. ribbon board, they don't see it. No, Saturday's completely maxed out. I don't care if you play at eleven or if you play it at, at nine o'clock. It doesn't matter. So Saturday's completely maxed out. Sunday, I would say, just looking at these voters, um, I mean, this is just from experience. I would say somewhere between fifty and seventy percent of these teams practice on Sunday. Some teams like to, some teams do Sunday off conditioning. They do light work, but more and more, I'm noticing that most teams are going in and doing a pre-install practice, which is a little strange to me. And then giving kids Monday off, doing then Monday off from practice, but then meetings, and then putting in like on-field practice for the next team Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, some schools don't. But a lot of teams, it kind of depends on what your situation is. A lot of teams, especially the ones I always end up embedded with, will do a Sunday get better practice on specifically things that are, you know, agnostic to your to to the opponent. It's just like, hey, this is our base package. We didn't do this. We're going to do this. We're going to get like, we saw this screwed up yesterday, so we're going to do it. So if you have a practice on Sunday, you're building out for that practice. So you're prepping for that practice either early Sunday morning or late Saturday night. In other words, like what you're going to do. Uh, if you're a head coach, you're overseeing, you're going to have at least one meeting on Sunday with your staff, all right? Most of your your support staff is going to be putting together cut-ups, installs, either from the opponent that you just played. You're probably throwing that out by Sunday morning, and then you're getting into all of the all the analysis that you've done for the next opponent. And this the, Right now is kind of the juncture of like, are you at a mid-level school or are you at like a top tier P5? Because you'll have analysts on staff who have been doing that for weeks. That's the big difference. Um, yeah, it, it's really just, they, they don't have time to do this. They they don't do it. I, oh, hey, bud, I'm not we're saying only, no, no, we're only up does. to like 10 a.m. on Sunday now. <clears throat> also on Sunday, those recruits that you talked about on Saturday night, they're probably going to come back into the office because they went out on Saturday night, right? Right. You, you, so you want to you want to find out how they before, did before they get on the road. Yeah, them and their families. Okay. Is there any so, coach you think does it? Like, do you think what? Leach does it? No, gives you're talking about like gives the poll its due diligence. Right. 
No. I mean, literally looking on here and I can make jokes all like, I mean, we can make a Scott Loeffler joke or we can make a, a Hugh Freeze joke. Or, no, there's no way. By the way, um, I've got to figure out maybe maybe we'll do this as an incentive for a charity drive. But if we maybe raise enough money or we get to a certain benchmark on PAPN, I'm tempted to just text Hugh Freeze like midseason like, hey, uh, who'd you put at 22 this week? And just constantly screw with him about his voting. <laughs> There you go. Because of all the people on this list, that's the one I would care the least about completely driving insane. In fact, I would enjoy it. Um, no, there's no, there, there, it's not possible. It's not, okay, another example. Thomas Hammock. He's the new head coach at Northern Illinois. Probably nobody knows that name. Even PAPNers, okay? I know. That, that dude just came from the NFL, right? He's an alumnus of Northern Illinois. Swimming. I don't care how much preparation you've had in this industry. Swimming with, with just shit to do. He's not going to sit down and do this. And he may have one of the, the worst teams on this list. Or Dana Dimmel at UTEP, right? That's a bad football team. Steve that, Kim, that's South the worst Alabama. team in the country. Okay. South Alabama might a have lot. a bad year. Like, it's just not happening, guys. So why are we doing this? Why The only explanation I can, I, I can come up with is so when Auburn and Oregon play, which in my opinion is the best week one game, Okay which is rare. Normally I try and stump for a G5. I mean, I'm really interested. I'm honestly very, very interested in like a Boise, Florida State situation. You're not at that Bama Duke? Whew. Or Notre, Notre Dame Louisville? <sighs> that poor assy experience on Monday night. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm a professional college football media member, whatever that term still actually represents. I'm not watching that game on Monday night. I'm in, not fact, I, in fact, in fact, let's go way behind the curtain for a second. But I was in pre-production a, a meeting with Jason Kirk because we're gonna do we're gonna bring back the Sunday hurry up on PAPN, and we were going through. He's gonna do week one with me, and I was thinking like, you know, we can just skip that one. And I don't mean that like th- that. That's not a full cast joke. I'm serious. What in the world is that game gonna <laughs> contribute to the conversation about week one? It's and this is not to shit on Louisville. This is just the circumstance. Bobby Petrino has already shit all over Louisville. And I, by the way, I think really good hire they made, but I don't, I, as far as last time I checked, Scott Satterfield, not Jesus Christ. Yeah. Louisville personnel wise, uh, for a while, it seemed like Louisville was finding some guys at other schools, not wouldn't touch, but would be a little bit more hesitant to touch. And they were really hitting on him. And yeah. the past couple of years, I feel like they have, they have not signed as many of those guys who I was like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I can really see it. This guy could turn into a beast if this and this and this happens. You know, if if he keeps his head on straight and, and, and he gets in a weight room, he could really – the ceiling was there. I don't know that the ceiling of some of these Louisville players they've signed recently is is really all that high. Uh, not surprising because right. they had some guys in that staff who had a lot of trouble getting jobs at other staffs because nobody wanted them. Um, uh, <clears throat> I, I, yeah. If you're really conspiratorial, I think, obviously, Oregon-Auburn Oregon, was going to be a good game. Now you get to say number thirteen is playing number sixteen. I guess that amplifies it. I guess I, I, I'm I'm sure a television uh, executive could explain to me how they, they that's a little extra sizzle on the steak. I don't think you really see anything else that's outright conspiratorial in terms of like we amped up these ratings to sell this game. Um, I, I mean, I can't find anything in terms of combinations for week one, but you know the idea that. Well, it's all ACC network, right? I mean, that, that that's why that, that that's well, yeah, but why Clemson's that, that number. Notre Dame I mean, Clem- game is prime. Cle- Clemson is Clemson, right? When they kick off, Georgia Tech's not going to be ranked for obvious reasons. And then, um, what's the other combo game? Is it VTBC? 
Uh, yeah. Think that's the ACC opener? Like, yeah, those teams weren't going to be ranked. A so. lot of these ACC games have been pushed up, like conference games pushed up to earlier in the year this year, I think, because of the ACC network. Oh, definitely. I mean, you go back and look at the uh, the SEC schedule from from the launch year of SEC Network. South Carolina A&M, um, right? That yeah. Was the, and the opener? That was the Thursday night opener. Do you remember the Saturday opener? On uh, the SEC Network? Conference game that would have absolutely no business being in week one. Kentucky and mm. Mississippi State? Bigger. Arkansas oh. and Auburn, week one. They try to oh, okay. amp up the gusness. Like, they will do whatever they can to sell the ACC network. Um, it's something we're going to actually talk about in the next segment with Richard uh, and just in terms of, of cord cutting. But, uh, but Elliot, actually, uh, this week, here's our cliffhanger. Uh, when we resume our conversation, we are going to talk about the landscape of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Thank you, sir. Peace. Richard Johnson, uh, I'm going to do an Instagram meme on you. You millennial. Ryan Day, group of five coaching, gossip, cord cutting. These are the three things that we discussed this weekend that we're going to talk about. One's got to go right now. Ooh, I love a good F. Mary kill. Um, uh, I'm going to cut cord cutting. You like how I did that? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to cut that because, as a millennial, I think that devo- that needs my full devotion, our full devotion, for a whole show. Um, and I don't think we have that today. We have also. Uh, you're doing this just business. because I, I that was the one thing that I teased in the last segment. So you're just you're trying to make the show incongruent. I appreciate that. No, 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 no. It's viral marketing. You try to keep um, people coming back for more. Cord cutting is definitely something we can sit until uh, the the latter show this week, the later show this week, uh, mainly because it is getting absolutely ridiculous and the acc network is causing a mini problem not sec network quality but you know what are you gonna do okay uh i feel like we have to put a time limit on ourselves with ryan day and anything to do with ohio state and zach smith and that whole kerfuffle um grade that news dump for me Four o'clock on a Friday of an investigation of an investigation that has been, I mean, basically more or less out of the news for nine months. Mm, Baby, let me tell you something. That's high level. Two thousand pages on a Friday, early August. Everybody just started camp. I mean, really, actually, this times up almost to the week of the actual scandal last year. They know what they're doing up there. Of course, credit. That's very, very solid. Um. Yeah, I, I, I'm starting to question whether or not the Friday News Dump actually makes an event bigger now, mainly because all of us run to Twitter and scream Friday News Dump. But also, people are hashtag online seven days a week. And so it it got to live on its own for like two and a half days before anything else happened. So Well, I, I like the other thing was, um, you know, quite frankly, a lot of people weren't focusing on sports this weekend for very, very um real reasons and so because of that i think some of this stuff got buried and and lost as well it was amazing how i mean obviously they're not prescient but like and and it's not something you want to dabble in making light of but because of what's gone on nationwide in the headlines i think and also i do think sports fans in general are bracing themselves for football season and will give themselves a little bit of a breather anyway from the news from the college football news cycle until maybe I think we still have like a week and a half of that. And so, yeah, this was the most well-executed Friday news dump I've ever seen. That being said, one thing they didn't count on, or maybe they did, and that's the Alabama state media. Ooh, yeah, they got uh, they got running of the gumps in Alabama media day right there. Um, they 
obviously Nick Saban's name comes up and Alabama comes up in this in this giant news dump on Zach Smith and the Alabama media leapt. And did they leap in a predictable way? Yes, they did. Um I think everyone went about defending Nick Saban pretty quickly, which I thought yeah, was kind of funny. Yeah, who boy. Who buddy they were on top of that boy. Uh, Nick Nick Saban would never. Nick Saban is a man of integrity. Here's He the would truth. he would take some risks, but he would never do something like that. Well, I'll give I'll give I'll give Nick credit. He actually spoke the truth. He then let the acolytes sort of proselytize it. And the truth is every year when you're talking about assistance at P5s, there's a high volume of interested parties and candidates and and just conversations that happen. And based on my extensive experience in the industry, I think looking at what was actually dumped in the in the the Ohio State papers, what or documents I should say, and then what Nick Saban said and then what the gossip was over the weekend. It basically happened like that, Richard. Like there was an interest in Zach Smith to be an assistant at Alabama. They probably talked a little bit, and then nothing happened. And that well, not on even, its own it's, is pretty normal. It's not even a. They probably talked a little bit. Saban literally said, "We did interview him." The direct quote is, "I really never did offer this guy a job." Well, no. When we, I say probably talked a little bit, I mean probably talked a little bit about him. Yes, he did officially interview, but I mean probably talked about him working there actually was it a job offer was it not this is the oh this God. is the, the classic greatest hits of, of the, the coaching cycle period of my existence of our right. existence during the coaching cycle what actually constitutes it what okay let's let's i think we actually do need to stop and break this down for the folks what actually does constitute a quote unquote job offer because all of us sitting in our cubicles we don't get a job offer until the email comes through that says this is a job offer but it works I, differently in these ranks i mean that's basically the same thing in college except that it can be manipulated manipulated by any number of parties involved and obviously people want to massage it i mean i thought nick was pretty honest in the press conference as well about hey guys use these these interested meetings these these feeling out official interviews unofficial interviews you know informal conversations they 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 want that information out there so they can boost their stock to better their own situation and i don't think he said that in a demeaning way because there's no way he could. He deals he deals with so much assistant turnover that it, it, he has to know about this. So I I also think there there's a really interesting part in this too, which is like like I think everybody like I think we all want to think that oh like college football teams are really plugged in on who can coach and who can't like da 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 and like to an extent of course they are, but like there are a ton of coaches out there and like. It, it honestly kind of sounds like, oh, Ohio State has really good receivers. Let's interview their receivers coach for our vacant receivers job. And then as you go through the process, obviously you learn a little bit more of him. But like sometimes it kind of is as simple as that guy has a good position group. Let's go see if he wants to work here. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, I, I think it's kind of it. This is kind of a mirror situation. You're going to kind of reflect whatever you want from it, and it's going to show how you feel about either Nick Saban or Zach Smith or college coaching. Um, you can take from this pretty much what you want. But yeah, he did interview. Um, I would debunk the idea that that Alabama suddenly ran a background check and they suddenly figured out that he was kind of a shitbird. That's not how that works because the coaching community is so small and so tight and so gossipy that Alabama was well aware of, of what was going on 
with a man who had sex toys delivered to the football facility at Ohio State, who had very, very well-known issues with his wife around the Ohio State coaching uh, network, that got out. Okay. You think you think Nick Saban didn't have wind that Tom Herman, Zach Smith, and a South Florida high school football coach were hanging out at a strip club? Grow up. You know, Richard, there's embeds and then there's embeds. Um all right. I guess we'll leave it at that. I I know people want to talk about it. Um I didn't find anything else that really blew me away in the in the in the news dump. Um you know, a lot of what I scrolled through was heavily redacted. I feel very, very sorry for Ohio State media. Can you imagine it's a quiet Friday before the season starts? You're going to have a normal, stable weekend before, you know, the season starts. And then you have 2,000 pages of shit that you have to wade through. It's pretty bad. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like some of that. Also, some of the there was also a lot of like. <laughs> like I, I mean, I get why you left this in the document dump as filler, but like there was a lot of like Urban Meyer saying like, "Oh yeah, I'll be back in Cleveland next week for like a speaking engagement and stuff like that," and like yeah, you're trying to hide the probably the saving stuff or whatever that's actually interesting, but it's kind of funny like the stuff that they like actually like let in. There was also this really weird text that Urban Meyer sent, presumably a recruit, that literally says, "We're gonna maximize your genetic potential." <laughs> I was like, God, this is the weirdest sport on the planet. The final solution. Uh, yeah, that's terrible. Uh, Ryan Day interviewed at Mississippi State. Didn't we know that? We did a little bit. Um, it just goes to show, man, they really they ran a really good search at Mississippi State. Well, it's um, not even a good search. It's a really interesting search. Like, yeah. that is an interesting search. Well, it's especially interesting only because of, like, that That AD is an ex-baseball coach. Like, Mississippi State is um, an extremely insular place. Uh, and, man, they went out of the box and interviewed some really smart people. So I will say, I mean, even, even before the Ryan Day thing, Mississippi State, when they were trying to replace Scott Strickland – um, they took a swing on on a pretty bright young administrator, um, actually an administrator of color, and and it didn't end up working out. the The administrator went somewhere else. But like Mississippi State has kind of taken some swings in some interesting places with some of these hires in the last few years. That really is what sets them apart in terms of the the cultural disconnect with with Ole Miss is that Ole Miss is so feverishly occupied with creating this. I wouldn't say like coaching coaching tradition necessarily, but identity in place being so much more of a powerful agent than it is at Mississippi State, where most, if not all of their success in their major sports come from like real true blue outsiders because Dan Mullen fit Northeast Mississippi, you know, as square peg round hole as you could possibly create a scenario. Um, and I think they wanted to replicate that more than anything else, which honestly is the way to do it. It's it's to not really conform to any kind of traditional stereotype because we've seen that that doesn't work Ugh, in Nebraska. Um, <laughs> but hats off to them. Really good search. Um, all right, group of five. We I don't know if you saw in the zeitgeist of PAPN, there was a little bit of concern. Everyone was very friendly about our, our first show back. And then I think people were counting the minutes dedicated to G5. So we talked for like 20 minutes about BYU joining the American yeah, on a conditional a Notre Dame basis. Are they a G5? Who? BYU. BYU? But I, mean, I know they're technically classified as such, but I'm saying like perception wise. They're yeah. they're in the they're in the negative zone. I don't think they really have like an I don't think they have a handle on 
No, but I, mean, I, I think they're not P five, but I they're not P five. They're clearly not P five. But Notre Dame will always get the P five and Notre Dame benefit of the doubt. BYU will not get that or doesn't no. get that right now. I should say it's G five okay. and BYU. The reason why we're talking about G five is why Richard. Because some G5 coaches are going to get fired slash take other jobs in a few months. Um, we were going through our, not short list, long list of jobs that we either uh, are very, very well informed about potentially opening or know for sure going to open or just flat out. We already know that the process has begun because spoiler <laughs> alert, the process has already begun in a lot of these places. So we were making this list of everyone in the FBS that we thought had more than a 50% chance to open. But hold um, on, Godfrey. The season hasn't started yet. Of course How not. has everyone, the process of firing my coach already started? Everyone is dedicated to Coach X, who has been a part of our program, and we're excited about his leadership. Um, but in reality, uh, pre-interviews are already going on. Because guess what? You know those search firms that help you hire the AD? Well, they do that, and they put in the AD because the AD interviews with that search firm. So stay with me. That search firm, the uh, let's just call it, I don't know. Godfrey Co. Search Firm. Just Corn gave Godfrey. you an AD. All right. Corn Godfrey Search Firm. Sounds good to me. Um, then when your AD needs to hire a coach or is even thinking about, man, we got a tough kind of five and seven type situation coming up this year. I might have to fire my coach. Well, who are they going to turn to? Godfrey Co. Should be us. No shit. Uh, the same search firm that places ADs will often then contact those ADs who they helped place because really you're kissing the ass of the search firm who's going to recommend you to the future employer. So that cycle works on multiple levels. ADs to presidents and universities and then coaches to the ADs that they install. Um, it, it ain't about the grades you make. It's about the hands you shake. All right, all right, right, all right. Six years at Ole Miss. Um, looking at this list, Richard and I figured out one thing. There, right now, right now, now something cataclysmic can always happen, all right? But right now, there is a much higher volume of G5 turnover in the forecast than there is P5 turnover in the forecast. I find this interesting because of a couple of things. Uh, Richard, uh, our, Bud and I are going to talk uh, on the next episode a little bit more about the dynamic. We talked a little bit about the dynamic of, of short windows when new coaches come in. And how they you just really have to throw out a year's worth of recruiting because of the new window. However, you also have a situation like Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley, where you're an established member of the staff. It's a much more uh, cohesive transition. If you are an, if you're looking to map your 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 coaching career now, I'm curious if the G5 job is as appealing, or if you just go you want to go back to the way it was like. The, you know, we saw the trend swing away from being a top-level coordinator at a P5 and then getting your first head coaching job, but now that's a little bit more in vogue again. I think I think guys are starting to realize that, like, I think the variance is so... So let's take the American, which I think is... The American is the most interesting conference, or excuse me, league... Um, with these young coaches because it kind of swings or can swing so widely. Like, it is very much the incubator. And it's like, look, let's say Luke, Luke Fickle takes a job tomorrow. Cincinnati's got to absolutely nail the next hire or they're then last in that division. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. they, they, like you cannot miss on some of these, which creates an urgency um, at some of these places. Uh, so the list... 
and this isn't official, but this is just worth having a conversation about. I'm just going to start rattling off schools. And there's a lot. Um, San Jose State, both New Mexico's, Ball State, Tulsa, Georgia State, South Alabama, possibly, uh, UNLV, Old Dominion, possibly Colorado State, possibly UTSA. Um, that's just the, the that's the short list there. If you can, whatever whatever the hell you consider the situation at UConn to be is like a pocket sort of conversation. <laughs> that's its own. That's okay. its own thing. Um. Um. You got? Are you done? You left a couple. I got a couple on mine. Yeah, a couple extra on mine. Uh, Miami of Ohio, Wyoming, um, Middle and Arkansas State. Middle Tennessee State and Arkansas State. Both we've well. Yeah. Both of those situations, if they happened, I feel like would be retirement situations. Yes. Yes. Um. Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming. They kind of have. So Wyoming basically has, I believe it's two now former players on their defensive line um, got into sexual assault uh, allegations. Um, I'm not exactly 100% specific on like whether convicted, jail, prison, whatever, um, but I do know that there was a pretty serious issue that happened out there recently. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the things to put on the radar. Um because of the era that we're in like that stuff now matters in a good way um in a way that it didn't 10 years ago 20 years ago and again we'll pause here this is this is speculative this is how we sort of build these lists and these are conversations that we have out in the open without privileged information just because of there is available evidence every i would say every job we just named uh there's a pretty obvious table setting situation usually involving record um it's funny though because you bring up Wyoming and I don't think I, I think ninety nine percent of our audience didn't know that because I just remembered it from last week. But then like Bob Davies still has a job at New Mexico. Who, buddy? Um, so is it a factor? Yes. Is it a instant catalyst to removing a coach? It is definitely not. So we have all these G five jobs. If I'm working at a search firm or if I'm an agent, I'm sussing out these jobs and. I don't know if like, <laughs> all right, here's the deal. By candidacy, I would go, if I have an East Coast guy, you know, the one that actually jumps out at me is Old Dominion. I literally, I knew you were going to say that. Okay. I knew you were going to say that. Old Dominion, Old Dominion, for if you didn't know, is located in the Tidewater, right? On the Eastern side of Virginia. That's where all of the good football people play. Like all of the, uh, all of the football persons that you remember from like when Virginia Tech was cool, yeah, they came from there. They didn't come from the mountains. Okay? Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin came from there. Allen Iverson came from there. I and mean, we can play this. Taj Boyd came from there. We can play this game all day. Wait, did he really? Yeah. Taj is Taj uh, when I interviewed Taj Boyd, he told me a um an amazing story about I wanna say it was junior high practice. They were finishing up and the clips pulled up. At the football, at, like after football practice, and the clips were selling, um, I think it was actual mixtapes, like cassette tapes out of their trunk. <laughs> um, if you don't know who the clips are, get you at Google. Um, there's a lot of high end potential jobs, like the Georgia State thing, obviously, still hasn't been solved. I mean, they really like Sean Elliott there, but I mean, we just, they're nothing, I mean, nothing I, like, shown Georgia of that State, yet. Georgia State, like for me, 
at this point in time, you can coast on what Georgia Tech's about to try to do. Like, make it cool. You're in Atlanta. For God's sakes, make it cool. What you is, have so you're a, saying like like draft off of them, basically? Yeah, yeah. You have a giant alumni base. Georgia State is a huge school. I don't know. Huge. Yeah, I know this. They've got a really nice facility that they were able to get on a, you know, for a nickel because of the situation with the Atlanta Braves. I you have a you have a rivalry, you have a compelling rivalry in that state that's nasty, getting nastier. Like, yeah, like there there are reasons for there are reasons for optimism there. Uh should be better than they are. No one has seemed to figure that out yet. Um I do think that people are maybe equating Georgia State being in Atlanta with automatic access to football talent. And one of the things that we keep touching on with Atlanta is Atlanta is owned by no one, including Georgia. I mean, that's why Kirby Smart got that job is because he's from Georgia, but was just helping Saban kick, kick Georgia's ass in recruiting for a decade plus. Mark Rick did not own his own capital city. That's, I mean... the shortest way to explain that transition in Georgia, that's it. So uh, other jobs like, okay, so if I'm an East Coast guy, here's the reason why I like ODU. Uh, Good tradition, they win. A lot of talent in the backyard. I think think they have helped contribute to the problem at at VTech. I think you can win there right away. I think you can recruit there really quickly. And it's an, it's got a nice little like support base too. So a lot of these jobs are kind of destitute because there's no, like middle Tennessee is a great example. I talk about them all the time because they're only 30 miles away from me. There's no tradition there. There's no excitement. The fans, the fans have completely like, I I wouldn't even say taken for granted. I just ignored what Rick Stockstill's done all these years. So I would much rather work at ED, uh, ODU. Um, Okay, if you had to go to Colorado State or UNLV, where would you go? UNLV. It's not Whoa. close. It's Whoa. not close. I talked, either, to four coaches, I talked to four coaches last week about this. They all picked Colorado State. See, that is such retrograde. Like, look, man, do I want to be in not even Denver? In, it's, is it Fort Collins or Colorado Springs? It's Fort Collins. Colorado Springs is Air Force. Okay, yeah, okay. So uh, it's either Fort Collins or Vegas. It's this. It's not. It's not close. So I so I played devil's advocate when the second one said that, and they said it's very much hashtag type of kid. And what they're not talking, they're not talking about any. They're, they're not talking about uh, background, race, anything. They're talking about a hashtag type of kid. Because I asked him, I was like, "Are you? Is it like kids from like Miami and you know?" parts of LA where they, you feel like they're more adaptable to Vegas. They're like, Nope, it's just environmental conditions. And I, I used to think that was bullshit. And then I remember like when I visited Troy and they're like, I would meet like members of that defense or they're like, yeah, all I wanted to do is like hunt and fish or like, I'm from a town of 2000 and I only wanted to drive three hours away. Well, yeah, now, you like, get in less trouble cause you're not as adventurous. There's a massive advantage to me for the UNLV that could be. That is I, not currently. Yeah, right? look, like you've got an. First of all, in your backyard, you have an absolute athletic factory at Bishop Gorman. Like you're not going to get the best kids out of Bishop Gorman. That's fine, but find well, a way to keep the former Bishop Gorman head coach hasn't gotten the best kids out of Bishop Gorman. <laughs> yeah, like try to find a way to keep kind of that underclass of guys um, 
who are just at Bishop Gorman and pretty good and not going to go to Ohio State. Like, get those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, You play or you will play very soon in an NFL stadium. Like, that's still cool. Like, whatever. I I know that it, it can be kind of overblown at a lot of places, but... I think that like it's it's different than it's different than Colorado State or Colorado playing in the Broncos Stadium or Miami playing at the Orange Bowl or whatever. Like, you know, it's new, it's bright, it's shiny, it's futuristic. It's also the Raiders. And like I know that a lot of kids don't like understand the Raiders as a football product, but the Raiders as a brand still kinda carries that weight and cachet because yeah, of who still kinds of reps you- for it. I mean, how much association are the Raiders going to give UNLV? I think you try like hell to draft off it. You're playing in the same stadium. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you're playing in the same stadium. So I was just in Vegas about uh, two weeks ago. Um, I drove by or rode by, I should say, the um, the construction site. It's I've only been to Vegas like a, a handful of times in the last 10 years. I'm not a huge Vegas person, but. It's to the south. It's just southwest of the bottom of the strip. So the Mandalay Bay, Luxor area, if this means anything to you, if you've been to Vegas, like the strip runs north south. And so it's the just southwest of the southern end of the strip to the point where if you stayed at one of those like mega casino places, you could walk. No one does that in Las Vegas, but you could like walk a quarter mile if that. And I'm sure they're going to have some sort of connection. I don't know if they're going to have a connection from Mandalay there or whatever, but um. A couple things that blew me away. It's huge. It's like way bigger even. Like just the bones of it are up. And it looks massive. It's really tall. Um, It's going to be really, really impressive. I don't know if college fans are going to fill it up. Um, Two weeks weeks ago, Richard, the Pac-12 announced that they were finally going to move the the title game there. So you're going to have more college football in the city. Tremendously more because you're going to have the Las Vegas Bowl. You're going to have Big Ten and SEC teams going through there in bowl season. There's neutral site games there. Um, it's also an NFL neutral site. Like, it's an NFL neutral site because they're the, Ra- the Raiders are going to move there without a, like, strong, strong fan base. <clears throat> and, you know, because, like, think of any time the Packers, like, when the Steelers come to a Jags game. Like, when the Steelers play the Jaguars, it's, I love the Jags, they're my squad, but it's a lot of Steelers fans in there. It's the same thing. Like, the Packers well, that's are- just Yeah, that's just like having silverfish in an old house. You can't get rid of Steelers fans. Trust me, you can, you can do whatever. You can set fire to the house, you'll still find some asshole in a Heinz Ward jersey drinking uh what's that steel city crap ugh but They're i everywhere. say I, like i say that to say like look have antonio brown come to the unalv facility in the off season and work out with the do with the guys i will say the next head coach is going to have to think of stunty type things like that and yeah, not just you're not in just Vegas. get a yeah not get a ball coach um as i'm looking i was trying to do this while you were talking I know there's already a couple uh, like Labor Day weekend games locked in. There it is. 2021 uh, Arizona and BYU. In um, that Vegas stadium? In the in the new stadium. I know there's a couple more that are coming. I don't know if it'll be locked in the way like the Chick-fil-A Atlanta thing is or um, like Advocare in Houston, but they're, it's going to be close to it. Uh, they're a little wary because they're, they're putting so much on the bull side of it. I mean, I know they're outbidding for um, – not outbidding, but out comma bidding for the national championship sites. Um, how all this factors into UNLV 
no one has really pulled that together yet. And it's not going to be Tony Sanchez. I do think that job's going to open. But, I, I mean, I just... On paper, it looks great. I just don't know if the, all the connective tissue comes together. So, well, to the, the original- UNLV thing is quickly. The UNLV thing is uh, the the game plan is absolutely burn it like a rocket for two and a half years and go somewhere else. Okay, nine wins in you don't, one wait, wait, year. You don't think UNLV could become like a Houston or a uh, UCF? I mean, maybe. But I think, sell, but I mean, you're selling different jobs to different coaches here. There, that's a whole different culture. Like, you could go to UCF now, assuming Hypo leaves, and you know you can sit pretty well for a couple of years and not have to take the first crap job you get offered, right? But that's a little bit different because you can sustainably build there, or excuse I mean, me, you can sustainably continue to parlay what they've already done, and you're in Florida. Dana Holgerson just left the Big Twelve for Houston. Like Texas. UNL, UNLV wants that permanence here because they are dumping so much money into this. So that changes the kind of coach you're, you you think you're going to get. Okay, so I have scrolled through. Las Vegas has not locked in yet on a actual uh, championship game, but I know that the bidding is 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 going on. Um, obviously the game was at Levi's last year, and. Here. Isn't it already going to LA, the new LA stadium? Um, so this year, uh, the oh, I forgot this year the title game's in the Superdome. So uh, the following year, it's at Miami. Which, by the way, I have not been to Hard Rock since they renovated it, but apparently it's really nice, which is shocking because that place was a dump. Um, ooh, get ready, January 2022, we're going to Lucas Oil in Indianapolis. Jesus, uh, Christ. the new LA stadium. Yes, you did get the bid in for 23 NRG in Houston. Uh, hashtag 28 to three. Uh, gets it in 2024, and then 25. What is the deal? Okay, you've seen a Super Bowl in Houston. Yeah, I'm bringing this up. What is the deal with Houston and these like big events, Final Four, Super Bowl? Like, what is the deal? Just massive dome stadium. What do you mean? Is it that simple? Well, like in Indianapolis, all the like hashtag sports writer Twitter is like, oh, you can walk to everything. Like, eh, you know, it's really cool. You can walk to every TGI Fridays downtown. Da 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 da. But with Houston, like, isn't it not in the middle of nowhere? But it's like you got to drive to it. Like. Everything in Houston is, is, I mean, compared to a Midwestern city like Indianapolis or Chicago or something, yeah, there's a disconnect. Um, but Houston is really good at hosting things. It's warm weather. It's really nice weather in January especially. I mean, it's, it's Houston is almost as subtropic as New Orleans is. Um, Houston does a really good job hosting events. They have a ton of, like, hotel volume, convention space. Like, uh, when I was there for the – I've been there for the Super Bowl. I've been there for bowl games, like – they do it extremely well because it is such a large city and area. Um, it's funny how that sprawl works in your advantage in Texas. Um, yeah, everybody. Well, I mean, like, it's the stupid cliche, but the everything's bigger in Texas thing. Like, I think you go to Texas and just, like, have this, like, implicit understanding that you're going to have to drive a lot. I've been to this. Uh, i put it this way. Like, I, I covered the Super Bowl as a reporter in New York City. I went to the Super Bowl as a patron in Houston. Like, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to put a Super Bowl in Houston, Texas, because you have extra parking lots. It's not sexy, but when it comes to accessibility and the amount of security you have to go through, like, it makes sense. Now, on the appealing side, I love Houston. I like going to Houston more than I like going to Austin. And I'm a white, middle-aged hipster. Like, I really like Houston. Now, a lot of people out there, like, there's a Houston-Dallas thing, but I can tell you this. I've been to major events in January in Houston, and I've been to major events in January in Dallas, and there is, to me, a... Pretty significant difference culturally, weather, all of it. 
So you mean that you mean that Houston didn't put its opulent football palace right next to a Walmart? I mean, like energy is not located next to much except the Astrodome. Uh, I will say this: and you can't actually take public transportation. It's like a light rail train. It's not you can or you can't. You can. You can. You can. Um, Okay, 25 is open and 26 is open. If I had to bet right now, and I'm sure somewhere you can actually get a line in Vegas about this, that Vegas stadium will be either 25 or 26. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. I wonder the what the game. I wonder if they end up into like a pretty firm like rotation with these kinds of things cuz I know that nobody's hosted it twice yet, right? Right. And I think they're trying to exhaust kind of the first one. Like when I was in Tampa, like we reported on basically like how Tampa got the game the first point in time. Like Tampa Bay's uh, sports uh, commission has been very aggressive in courting events, women's Final Fours, Frozen Fours, Super Bowls, obviously. Um, They're getting a winter classic, like all that kind of stuff. And like Tampa was really bullish when we were there about getting the game the second time. Now, obviously, they've bid uh, for this round of games that just got decided that Godfrey just wrote off or uh, read off. But I imagine that they will obviously be in the tank for the next uh, session and and try to be that first city to host twice. Uh, I think the biggest thing you have to look at right now is are they going to let the host sites of the partner bowls double up? Like this year it's in New Orleans, which is also the home of the Sugar Bowl, but this year the Sugar is not one of the semis. Are they going to let them continue to do that? Obviously Atlanta has the national championship game. It's also the Peach Bowl. Like I'm okay with that, I guess. Like, you know, Dallas is going to have a national championship game, and then they're also going to have the Cotton Bowl. They were the first place that, to have the national championship game. So that how is going to... How pissed do you think the Rose Bowl people are that it's coming to L.A. and not the Rose Bowl? I think they don't care at all. Those people... Like, it's Augusta in college football. So depending on how your brain is, like, wired to hear that, you that, that either, like, lit up the the admiration center of your limbic system or the disgust. But, like, it's Augusta in college football. I've been to both places. I've never golfed in Augusta, but I've been there. I know people who are members. And then I've, I've been to Pasadena and I've been to the Rose Bowl. And, like, they got a shitload in common. So is, there Hooters, so is there Hooters down the street from the Rose Bowl? Mm, I don't think so. But I tell you what, it would benefit from a Hooters. Good wings. Um, that'd be hilarious. God, they would die. They would turn <laughs> to salt. Um, all right. You want to go UNLV of all these jobs as we wrap this up? You want to go UNLV as the best available job that we just rattled off? Because I'm uh, still- For the type of coach that I think I – for the type of coach that I am picturing for these types of jobs, which is a guy who can get it burning white hot once – just once and parlayed into another job, which, sorry, UNLV folks, is kind of a G5 thing. Yeah, I'm going to take UNLV off of this list. The one thing we haven't talked about, we don't have any AAC teams on this list, by the way. Tulsa. Tulsa. Excuse me. Sorry. Tulsa's a very strange situation. Uh, they're very patient with their coaches, but it just has not worked out for whatever reason. Um, I don't know why. I thought Philip Montgomery was a good hire at the time. Um that job should be better. It's a, it's actually a lot of people don't know. Like Tulsa is a very small school. It's a private. Like it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to necessarily build like a power football team. But given your location, um, they've been noticeably inconsistent. So um, the AAC will be a little quiet this year unless Heupel comes up for a job. Um, I think unless Charlie Strong finds something that's probably not out there say. right now. 
USF, our friends in Tampa. I think that stays static though, just because I don't know if I don't know where Charlie goes. It's open or would open, and then I don't know what USF does in lieu of Charlie. I just think that. Maybe what if they, they go? Of, what if they go six and six? I, Seriously, I, th- I think it's a hot seat year next year for him, and I think he's trying to find something anyway. Like I, I, I don't know if it happens this year. Um, people, someone asked me about Rice. Give me a freaking break. Come on, guys. I don't know Mike Bloomgren from a hole in the wall, but like, let's give the man some yeah, time. Yeah, give it a second. Jeez. I do. Hold on. I, I do want to go back to USF for a second though, because right. like, I the marriage it was not as add water instant conference championship UCF. Uh, you know, one to one UCF competitor as a lot of people there would like. I, you know, there was consternation last year about whether they had enough money in the kitty to actually buy him out. Like, I, I don't think it's as cut and dry down there as he's fine this year. And I just don't. No, I get that. Um, I think that this is a job that where the expectation has gotten so out of whack. And everybody who talks about that job talks about the fact that there's a level of expectation that you just suddenly up and grab 25-star, four-star kids because of where you're at. And no one has... No one there has given any thought into, hey, um, this is a this is a digital media age. A kid in Tampa is just as likely to go to Wisconsin, you know, to hell with the weather. Uh, we have to build. It's funny because I shit all over the constant, you know, uh, refining of the palace, right? We talk about that a lot of waterfalls and holograms. And I am against that in a certain way because it ought, it really at the end of the day comes down to hiding money that you would you would normally be obligated to give your labor force. However, in this current structure of college football, I find it funny that people are complaining about Charlie Strong or complaining about anything at USF and then you go around and look at their facilities, they're abysmal. They play across town in an NFL stadium, it completely kills any sort of campus collegiate tribal vibe that you would have at a small college like that it's funny because small by traffic but they're small by fan base it's funny because this is like the absolute opposite like we just sat here and talked about how like an nfl a new nfl stadium can work for unlv and an nfl stadium that's not that old doesn't really work for tampa and usf and like yeah you're right i mean it's it i think that's market more than anything else because in in florida college football is a is a universally accepted spoken language it's you know this is where the religion is at its strongest in in las vegas it's a city built on transients i think that you go and sell sizzle and you go and 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 create a fun sexy environment with wild stuff going on like you need an nfl stadium there because sam boyd's a piece of crap i mean they've been in a terrible facility at south florida i think you want to complain about UCF? Build a stadium. Build a twenty-five thousand seat stadium in that massive campus. It's it's not even. I I don't think their problems are stadium first. I think their problems are facility first. Like they need an indoor. But it, yeah. You have to have an indoor. It is Central Florida. You have to have an indoor. No bones about it. No ifs ands or buts. Like you have to have a practice field that you can practice on every day. Uh, it's very strange that this job tends to fly under the radar of like rational examination. And I think it will until somebody, I I don't know what it's going to take, but I know this, like they, they blame the, the initial cratering of the program on like, okay, well, 
Levitt got out of control, whatever. We we hired Skip Holtz. It wasn't the best fit. Then we got it going again because we got Floridians. Like, it's going to take more than that, y'all. I'm just telling you, like, literally they are scheduling weightlifting sessions around, like, what the volleyball team is doing, too. There's a lot <laughs> of that. I'm telling you, there's a lot of that. And, and I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth right now because all I do is make fun of, like, hologram waterfalls, but maybe at least get a little bit of a football facility together for them. Richard, we're out of time. Um, congratulations on uh, your your job as what head of ops at UNLV. Uh, yeah, look, you know, if you oh, want to fly I me just, out, I just to Vegas, lost you to the job market. Uh, oh yeah, I'm done. Like, find a new host. I hope UNLV's you and Bud gone? have. I hope you and Bud have a great time. All right, go go running rebels. We'll see you Thursday. <laughs>